The following message was recorded at Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org. We are going to be in a new book, and so really excited. We're going to be spending the next five weeks in the book of Jonah. And so Jonah is uh, a short uh, little book. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, please, I would encourage you, grab a Bible. There are Bibles uh, scattered out throughout underneath your uh, uh, chairs. And so uh, we are going to be in Jonah. And if you grab one of those Bibles, it's going to be on page 541 because it's like a two-page book. And so rather than like just skimming through the whole thing, it's on page 541 and 42 uh, in the Bible that's underneath there. Um, if not, then it's after Obadiah. And please, you can go ahead and use your table of contents. All right. Um, but really... Uh, Really excited about the book of Jonah. Uh, and as we get going, I wanted to talk about why. Why spend uh, five weeks uh, in Jonah? Uh, why did we pray through and feel that the Holy Spirit was leading us into this book? Uh, and I think uh, three, three reasons, uh, three reasons for why we're going to spend the next five weeks in Jonah. Um, the first one is that Jonah gives a very concrete example of sin and grace. It gives a very concrete, real example of what sin and grace is. For those of us that have you know, been in the church a long time, we hear those words thrown out a lot, sin, grace. And sometimes they become abstract. Sometimes they become uh, ethereal. They, you know, uh, they lose their reality of what they actually are. And so in Jonah, when we read the book of Jonah, it gives real examples, very clear examples of what sin is, namely running away from God, right? I mean, you, you look at Jonah and it gives a very clear example of what sin is, is that he hears God and he directly runs the opposite way. And so we see sin in its clarity that it is this desire to run or hide away from God. But we also see grace and that God pursues and so we see that though Jonah disobeys and runs, that God isn't finished. And so we see this concrete example of God pursuing, of God pursuing his people. And this is so important because if we don't understand in real life concretely what sin and grace are, then we don't understand the gospel. We don't understand the good news of Jesus, uh, what it means that he has died for our sin, what it means that he's given us grace. And so Jonah is extremely important because it helps us to flush out. And I think Jonah's... Uh, one of the most uh, upfront in your face with your own struggles, your own idolatry, um, it's very practical and it puts us in this prophet's story as we get to know it a little bit better. But it, it, it helps us to see our need uh, for the gospel, for the good news of Jesus. So, you know, it gives us a concrete example of sin and grace. The second is that I think all of us can relate to Jonah. Right? Jonah is a very relatable character because I think there's been a point, I know in my own life, there's been points where God has clearly spoken and I've been like, well, God, I can obey in all these other areas, but this one's no. And we turn and we, you know, and we know we're directly disobeying God. We know that he's calling us to do something, but we just say, no, I'm good. And so I think all of us can relate to Jonah because every single one of us, whether that is right now or in the past or in the future, all of us have had areas in our life where we just tell God, no, nope, not going to do it. Try again, you know, pick another person. And, uh, and so it's very, it's very relatable. And it's also, Jonah is also a very interesting book because it shows us that there's two ways to run away from God. 
right? Sometimes people um, reject Christianity because they confuse Christianity with uh, religion. And Jonah is a very clear picture, and we see this so much in the ministry of Jesus and in Paul, of them distinguishing these two. Uh, Jonah shows us that there's one way of running away from God, and it looks like actually physically running away from God. <laughs> like, I'm going to run as far as I possibly can to get out of anywhere I think God might be. And so that's obviously one, and we see this all the time with people. I mean, we see that what we call irreligion. We see people that say, I don't want anything to do with God. I, I'm going to flee the church. I don't want to be around Christians, you know, and, and they isolate themselves. They get as far away as they can from any of that stuff. You know, I'm going to live totally opposed to that. And yeah, you're, you're far from God. <laughs> uh, but there's also another way, and we see this in actually the, the later part of the book, in chapters 3 and 4, where Jonah begrudgingly does what God wants him to do. But we learn in chapter 4, when you see Jonah, that Jonah really didn't want to do it, and he just did it because he didn't really feel like he had another choice. And so was, even though he had done what God told him to do, he was still running from God because his heart was not obeying in a joyful way. God is not glorified in begrudging submission, right? I mean, like, it, let me put it this way. My wife is in honor when I show up and I'm like, well, it's our anniversary, so I had to do something. And, uh, and so I guess we're going to go out here and we're going to do this, you know, let's go. Right? I mean, she's, she feels very loved by that, you know, and she's like, I, more anniversaries of this would bring me great joy, right? I mean, no, of course not. It's when, I'm, uh, it's when I'm excited, like, I can't wait to spend time with you because you matter, because you're valuable, because you're important, because I wouldn't want to spend time anyplace else but here. That's what, that's what honors her, right? I mean, so too with the Lord, when we're obeying and we're just like, well, God, I guess I'll obey because if I don't, you're going to make me and I, fine, I'll just do it. God's really glorified in that. That really shows your love and your, your care for God versus, versus saying that, man, God, I trust that your plans are better than mine. I trust and I believe that your way is what's ultimately good for me and for all those around me. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. When your contentment, when your desire, when your satisfaction is found in God, you're going to make much of him. We do that with our lives, don't you see? Whatever you are finding your satisfaction in, you make much of it. Whether that's your family, whether that's your income, whether that's your hobby, I mean, whatever it is that you're finding satisfaction, you make much of it. You glorify it. And so too, when, when our hearts are, are finding their satisfaction in God, we will make much of him. And so we see that Jonah, all of us can relate to Jonah, all of us, because whether we are out, even right now, whether we are outwardly running away from God in certain areas of our life, or we're inwardly maybe doing the things that God would tell us to do, but our heart is in rebellion. It, is it, it's fighting him. And all of us, I think, struggle with this because from the very beginning, we see this is part of what humanity does. I mean, we see it in Adam. Is it their, their first sin? I mean, right, look at Adam and Eve. They created perfect harmony, but then they rebel. What do they do? Immediately after they realize that they have rebelled against God, they see that they're naked, and they immediately, they run, and they hide, and they blame right? It's not my, it's their, it's her fault. God, you gave her to me. You know, it's, it's, it's all her fault. And it, you know, I mean, I'm sure she's, uh, she's pointing the finger at Adam. He didn't stop me. You know, I mean, he knew, he heard you directly. He had to tell me and he didn't say anything. I mean, so you know that they're, they're running, hiding, and they're blaming. And so you see it, that it, it goes on this, this desire to run and to hide from God. And even as we become Christians, we know that, that God has saved us, he's redeemed us, but there still lives an old man. 
It says that the, that the new man is being renewed day by day and the old man's passing away. And so we know that that is decreasing as we grow in the Lord. But there's still that old man that desires to run and desires to hide, desires to, to flee from God. And so we, we go through this because I think all of us can relate to Jonah. And I think we can learn something um, from seeing uh, his story. Third, uh, and probably one of the, the premier reasons, um, we're going through Jonah because I, I think that it really gives us a clear picture of God's love for a city. It gives us a clear idea of God's heart and God's care for a city. And for those of you that are new that don't know, or those that, you know, that maybe just forgot, our whole theme this year is bless, right? B-L-E-S-S, that we begin in prayer, we're listening with care, we're eating together, serving love, and sharing our story. Why? And this is because God has called us to go out into our neighborhood. He's called us to go into our coworkers. He's called us to go out into this city and to be those that bless because we have been blessed. And Jonah shows us very clearly God's heart for a city that is opposed to him. I mean, Nineveh was opposed to God. They weren't in Israel. There's far from anything resembling Israel as you can get. But it shows God's concern and God's care for those that have no concern or care for him. That he loves them and he desires that they would be with him. And so we, we get to see this and hopefully... Hopefully this imprints upon our hearts and our lives where we look at St. Pete differently and we don't, we don't just see what's wrong, but we see the beauty and we see the care and we are moved by God's heart for these people. I mean, God has brought so many people right next to us. I mean, the Tampa area is number four in the nation as far as fastest growing. I mean, there are probably close to three million people in the greater Tampa Bay area. I mean, there's a ton of people that are all around us. And when you think about it, there are thousands and thousands of young families, young couples that are moving in all the time and those that are retired. I mean, there are tons of opportunities for the gospel to take off. And there's amazing things about our city. I mean, our, I love, I love St. Pete. I mean, I, I, my parents try to get me to move back to Kansas City quite frequently and I'm pretty content here. Uh, and so, I mean, it's, if we need to have and allow the Lord to develop a love for the city and for the people, because God has that kind of love. God has that kind of concern and care for, for St. Pete. So those are kind of the three, three reasons that we're going to go through Jonah, is that it gives us a concrete example of grace, of sin. It, we can relate to Jonah, and we get to see God's love for a city. So we are only going to be in the first six verses um, and if you will, read with me. Hear me in verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. He, so he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. 
So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. This is the word of the Lord. So, the big idea is that when we disobey God's call like Jonah, disastrous consequences follow. When we disobey God's call like Jonah, disastrous consequences follow. That we should pursue the joy and fruit of immediate obedience. We should pursue the joy and fruit of immediate obedience. So they outline where we're going to go, is, and the passage kind of breaks up into these three things, is we're going to look at God's call, uh, the prophet's rebellion, and the consequences for that rebellion, God's pursuit and, and the consequences for rebellion. So first, God's call. Uh, we see in verse 1 immediately uh, that the word of the Lord comes to Jonah and it calls him. But who is Jonah? You know, what do we know about this prophet? Now, Jonah's more of, he's a minor prophet. He's only got, you know, two pages in here. And then there's a little bit in 2 Kings 14. So he's, you know, uh, but what we, so he's, he's fairly obscure. But what we do know um, about Jonah is that he was a prophet to uh, northern, the northern tribe to Israel. And so the Israel broke into two tribes, the southern Judah and the northern Israel. And during that time, God sent prophets to his people to call them back. The role of a prophet was to listen and to uniquely hear the voice of God. I mean, prophets were very unique and that uh, they heard, you know, whether audibly or inwardly, they heard exactly what God wanted them to say. And it was pretty important that they did because if they didn't, they died. So you want to be sure that this is God speaking to you and you didn't eat something wrong yesterday or that you have like a really bad dream. Because if it doesn't happen, you get stoned. So the consequences are pretty heavy for not hearing God. And so Jonah is a prophet. And we see in 2 Kings 14 that Jonah actually prophesied. He prophesied in this, in, under Jeroboam too, which is a really evil king, but God showed grace in this evil king's reign. And he allowed the land of Israel to be expanded. And Jonah prophesied that this would happen. He said that it would happen. And if, he, if it didn't happen, he would die. And so it happened, and he's still alive to tell the story and, uh, and to, to live this. And so he goes and, and does it. And Jonah is from his father's Amittai. And that word actually means faithfulness or truth, the son of truth. And it's really interesting that that would be who his father is because the book of Jonah, which you know, tradition holds is written by Jonah, is a disclosure of the truth about himself. Jonah is writing this, and he is hopefully, hopefully since he's writing it, come to a better realization than he does at the end of the book. And he is disclosing, here's the reality about where I was and about the process that God used to bring me to a different place. And so he is being transparent. Jonah is being real. And he's saying, here's where I'm at. He's not painting a pretty picture of his obedience, of his relationship. He's actually being open and honest, hoping that other people will join him and see the journey. So we learn a little bit uh, about Jonah. There's, now this is totally conjecture, so like, don't take this to the bank. This is totally conjecture, but it goes with uh, ancient Hebrew like, you know, lore, is that uh, during the early prophets, uh, Elijah uh, was with a widow, and, uh, and he was in this land, and this widow took care of him and kind of ministered to him and, and helped him along. Well, during that time, her son died. And he went and brought her son back to life. And her son was, during, was with him during his prophetic ministry, at least for a, a large part of it, uh, for many years. 
And so Hebrew legend has it that that son that was raised is actually Jonah. That his father, uh, that his, his father was Jewish and that his mother was, uh, was not. Um, now, once again, that's totally conjecture. That's not, you, know, you can't prove that, so it's just his tradition. But I think it's an interesting fact to, to note that he might have been resurrected from the dead. Um, pretty cool. So we learn a little bit about Jonah, but next we see is that God's word comes to Jonah. It says, and the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Now, prophets were spoken to by God in a very unique way, but in a very clear way. And I think sometimes we, we think, well, if God just, God would just speak to me the same way that God spoke to them. Man, I would have, just have great clarity. Now, you notice God doesn't speak to the prophets in every single detail about everything, always. Usually, when you see the prophets, there's pretty big events or there's major things, and it, and it might be many years before they hear something very clearly. But I want to argue and I guess encourage you that I think God speaks clearly to us as well, and he's done that through his word. And I think that there are lots of things that God has spoken to us extremely clearly about that we don't obey. <laughs> and so it's kind of one of the things where, you know, God, you've given me things, and I'm not listening to them, but I'll, I'll listen to these other things that you'll tell me. And so God, I think a lot of times, he wants us to already listen to what he's spoken in his word. What does it mean for us to make disciples? What does it mean for us to love our enemies? What does it mean to pray for those that persecute us? What does it mean for us to be generous? I mean, there's lots of things explicitly that God has spoken to us. But God still speaks to us. God still speaks. He still wants to communicate with you through his word, but also through his spirit. He's given us the Holy Spirit that when we trust in Christ resides within us and he convicts us, he leads us into righteousness. And so we believe that the Holy Spirit speaks to us that you can, you can get guidance and clarity as he convicts you and leads you into the path that you ought to go. Now, this is a process. It doesn't mean that, that immediately you're always going to understand exactly what God is calling you to, to do or to, to go. But it's a process, but Holy, the Holy Spirit speaks to you. Not only that, but then he's given us his people. He's given us his church. And for me, those are the three things that I, and how I know God's speaking to me. As I listen to his word, I pray and, and discern the Holy Spirit, and then I communicate with his people and God speaks through, to us through his church, through his people, as we listen to those that love us and love Jesus. And for me, in almost all my big decisions in life, that's been the process that I make decisions. Whether it's buying a house, whether it's getting married, whether it's moving or taking, I mean, taking a job, like all of these huge things, man, God speaks to us through, through those means. And so do you, do you believe that God still communicates to you? That he really does have wisdom and guidance and direction not just in the big things, but in the small things as well. He can call us to move and to do things. And so God's word comes to Jonah, and it comes to us still. Now notice what God's word does. It says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, and it said, arise. God's word doesn't usually come to us and say, chill out on the couch. Watch some more Netflix. I mean, God's word from the beginning, it is a word that sends. It is a word that goes forth. I mean, God's first word created. He calls Adam and Eve and he tells them to go forth and subdue the, the earth. He calls them to leave and to go. I mean, you see it with Abraham. God calls Abraham, go from a land that you know and go to a land. You'll know when I tell you. Keep walking. And he, he, he keeps walking. He goes and the God, then God makes no, here's the land that I've told you to be. I mean, we see it with Moses is that God calls Moses to go lead a people and he takes his people 
out of Egypt all throughout. And ultimately, we see it in Jesus. God's word is ascending word as he, the, the true word of God incarnates, come and wraps himself in flesh and is sent out into this world to reach you and me. Now, this same word, it calls us to go. If, you, if you've heard the word of the Lord, if, you've, if, if God has called you, right, which when you become a Christian, God calls you. <laughs> it's not, some of us have this idea that, well, listen, the special few, the holy chosen, those are the ones that are called. Listen, if you are a Christian, you're called. God called you to salvation. He's calling you into ministry the moment you accept Jesus. The moment you become a, a follower of Jesus, you follow him into his mission. And so it's not a matter of if God's calling you, it's a matter of where and how God's calling you. And so God has called you, and he's called you to go, to be active in that. And so I think that's, for us, that's, that's a challenge. For me, that's a challenge, is that am I, am I willing to go? Am I being sent? Or am I comfortable? Because if I, if I stay, I show that I'm not, I'm not hearing the Lord. I'm not being obedient to the Lord so the, the second or the, the third thing that we see is, um, is that God's word calls us to do what seems impossible. God's word calls us to do what seems impossible. He says, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Now, we don't really know about Nineveh. Nineveh's really evil. So they were the capital of Assyria uh, for a while. There were three capitals. Nineveh was uh, uh, was one of the last capitals. And Assyria was known for their ruthlessness in war. They had attacked Israel three times already. Uh, the city was immense, 60 miles around in circumference. They had walls uh, around parts of the city uh, that were 100 feet tall, towers, 1,500 towers that were 200 feet tall, and the width of the wall would allow three chariots to run around it. This was a massive city, not only that, but when they went out to wage war, they were extremely ruthless. And I say this not to be graphic, but I say this because sometimes we look at Jonah and we look down upon Jonah and we don't think that we are Jonah and, and that we would do exactly what he did. Israel had been attacked three times. The strategies in battle that they took, they would behead their cap, their, their, who they had had victory over. They would stack their heads like a pyramid. They would skin the flesh off of those and put it on walls. They would rape the women. They would cut open the wombs of those that had children and, and kill the infants. They were ruthless. I mean, if anybody you would think would deserve the wrath of God, it's them. And, and likely Jonah knew people that this happened to. This isn't just abstract. Those people out here, they're kind of ruthless. This is something that hits home. Now, it's hard for us to understand that. It's hard for us to even put that into any kind of reality because we are a nation that is kind of surrounded by oceans. And so we, for the most part, have been fairly protected. We haven't had anything to that extreme. The most recent thing we have that compares to that is 9-11. If you have had family members that were stuck in the building as it's on flames and jumping out, and you know that God's called you to go to the very people that perpetrated that, and to call them to repentance, to let them know that God's judgment would fall, but that his grace is waiting if they will but turn. Now, God calls us to do what seems the impossible. Right? I mean, first, 
it seems impossible because Jonah's like, listen, I like my head. I would not like to lose it. <laughs> so going here does not seem in my best self-interest. But we learn really that that's not actually Jonah's problem. While that might be many of our problem, <laughs> I, I don't want to go there because it's very dangerous and I would like to live, God. But this, that's not Jonah's problem. Jonah's problem isn't a matter of fear. We learn in, in chapter 4, verses 2 through 3, that, uh, that his problem is that he doesn't want them to repent. He doesn't want them to change. He knows God's character, and he doesn't want God's character and his mercy to fall upon them. And so he refuses, he refuses to go. It's humbling for him. That's why he doesn't want to go, is that it strips him of all of his pride and of his revenge and of his anger. It, it rips him from his pedestal of saying that he's better. Because, right, I mean, how self-righteous can you be when you're in that position? These people have attacked us. They lay, they've laid us bare. I mean, they've done the unthinkable, the unimaginable to people I know. And you want me to go do this. And it strips him of his nationality. It strips him of his religious pedigree. It brings him low. It humbles him. And that's why he refuses to go. That's why he runs. The fourth thing we see that God's word calls him to do is that God's word calls him to make known his judgment, but also his grace. It says, call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. God sees evil. There is nothing that escapes his notice. Sometimes it's hard for us to grasp that. I'm sure for Jonah, who faced and saw these atrocities, sometimes that was hard to understand that God sees this evil. God sees this pain and this suffering. He knows about it. And it seems as if right now that their time has come. And we see this with Joshua too. When they're going to take over the land of Israel, it seems as if they've had you know, hundreds and hundreds of years and their evil has reached its limit. God's patience is he's coming now to bring judgment. But Jonah is, is coming to declare that God's judgment is coming, but also that God's mercy can fall too if they will but turn from their evil. And, and God calls us to do this. God calls us to go out into our culture, into our neighborhoods, and to proclaim that God's judgment is real. And listen, that's not a popular thing in our culture. Jonah didn't like grace our culture doesn't like judgment. And so, but God calls us to talk about the reality that all of us have rebelled against God. All of us have chosen false gods and that the consequences for that are going to separate us. They're going to be more than we can handle, more than we can realize. And God calls us to go and proclaim that sin brings judgment, but God's grace is true, is real, and that he desires to rescue and I think the most profound way in which we do this, because listen, we're called to be wise. I don't think the best evangelistic approach is to say you're going to hell and come receive Jesus. I, you know, I mean, it just, that's not very, uh, it, it doesn't draw, you know, and I don't think it's as faithful to the heart of God. But I think what the way in which the Lord's usually used uh, sharing the gospel through me is through my story. Is when I talk about my own rebellion, my own sin, my own brokenness and how that was leading me to destruction, but how God's grace come and rescued me. How he chose me rather than me choosing him. I wanted nothing to do with him, and yet he plucked me out of my own self-destruction and brought me into a place of healing and of grace and of love. 
And as we are open and transparent with our lives, as Jonah is doing, right? Jonah is doing this with his, very, with his book that he's written. As he's laying bare his life, he's being transparent before everyone so they can see. And he invites us that this is the way that we should do this with the world, is that we should lay our lives bare. We should learn to be transparent. doesn't mean that we disclose every gritty detail that we boast in our sin, but it means that we don't, our pride's not found in, our, in other people's uh, approval of us or what they think of us that we trust God more and that we're willing to be open and transparent and trust that, that through that, his grace will shine more, that he will get glory rather than us. And so, and, and ultimately our lives are, are called to live this, but we must open our mouths. Faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. People don't trust in Christ simply because they see you being a good person. They trust in Christ because you you proclaim that grace is what has saved you because you proclaim the cross and the resurrection. So we see the call of God. The next thing we see is a prophet's rebellion. Well, a prophet's rebellion. And so we see two things in here. We see the heart of sin and we also see the action of sin. The heart of sin and the action of sin. And we see in chapter four, verses one through two, we kind of get a clear picture of the heart of sin. It says in verse 1, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly because God didn't destroy Nineveh. Sorry, spoiler alert. Um, God didn't destroy Nineveh. Uh, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. You see what the heart of sin is here in Jonah? The heart of sin is self-authority. Is that he says, listen, Jonah obeyed God in lots of ways. I mean, think about it. For most of his life, that was his identity, is I am one who hears God and obeys God. But God reveals his facade. He reveals his limits. Because Jonah ultimately says, God, I will obey you if. If you will punish my enemies. If you will have wrath upon Assyria. If you will protect my nation. If you will do this. The heart of sin is self-authority. It's saying, I'll obey God. It's, it's conditional obedience. I'll obey God until. Until I'm uncomfortable. You know, until it gets awkward. Or until my family, you know, is, their health isn't good. Or until my income isn't what I want. I'll obey you if my marriage goes great. I'll obey if, and you fill in the blank. And it's this self-authority that says, God, up to this point you know what you're doing, but after that, I take over. Up to that point, I'll take my life back, thank you very much. And I will begin guiding my path because I know better and I'm a better guide for me. And that's the, that's the heart of sin that we, that we see here in Jonah is this desire for self-authority, to reject the authority of God. Hear this quote from Darren Patrick. When you begin to deny God's authority, you'll doubt God's goodness, which will cause you to ignore God's guidance. When you begin to deny God's authority, you'll doubt God's goodness, which will cause you to ignore God's guidance. And when you ignore God's guidance, I promise you it will lead you down to a path of destruction. It will lead you, lead you astray. 
And we see this, it's a, the other heart of sin is a self-righteous pride, right? Jonah has a self-righteous pride. And what I mean by that is that Jonah says, I deserve grace, but they don't. I deserve mercy, but they don't. You know, it's okay for me to, to, to sin and to receive God's grace, but it's not okay for them to sin and receive God's grace. I mean, Jesus talks about this in Matthew 7. Basically, what, what Jonah has is that, listen, I've got a speck, they've got the plank, <laughs> you know, and, uh, and we better watch out. Their plank is really big. My speck, you know, it's insignificant. And, and it's not the reality that we have a plank and that others have, have a speck. See, when grace is earned rather than freely given and received, obedience is conditional and limited by the false gods we truly worship. I'll say that again. When grace is earned rather than freely given and received, obedience is conditional and is limited by the false god we truly worship. You see, if you can, if you can earn God's approval, if you can earn God's love, then you also have rights, right? I mean, like, hey, if I clock in, I got something to say about it. I put in my hours, I put in my time, and so therefore I can, like, barter a little bit. Hey, if you want something, I'm, you know, I'll put a little bit more hours in, but I better get something I want. That's when our, that's when our obedience, we think that our obedience earns us favor with God, earns God's love. But you see, if we are saved not because we are good or not because we obey, but because God is gracious, then there are no limits to what he can call us to do. There's no boundaries. God can call anything because there's nothing that we've earned or deserved. And it's, we are saved entirely by grace, by unlimited, abundant grace. And this means that our obedience is unlimited, is unlimited. We see this illustration um, shown in one of Jesus' parables in Matthew 20. He, uh, he tells a parable about a, a vineyard worker, a, an owner of a vineyard. He he calls people to go work in his vineyard. And there's a group of people that come out really early and they start working. You know, hey, they're ready for a hard day, long days, labor. They get ready and he agrees with them. I'm going to pay you a denarius. You know, like that's what we've agreed up front. Go forth. There's other people that come a little bit later, about nine o'clock, you know. Maybe they slept in. And, uh, and he, you know, he said, okay, you know, you're a little late to the game, but come on. Let's, you know, let's go. I've got work for you, you know. And they go forth. Some more at 12, more at three. And man, you know, apparently these, these last workers, even at five, you know, six, they weren't, you know, I don't know what they were doing the whole day, but they come and, and he's got so much work. He says, even you, even you will, will go forth. And when all the workers come back in from the day, you know, the workers that have been out there from, you know, from early on, from dawn, they look and they see those people that were only out there for a couple hours. They're starting to re- receive a denarius and they're like, oh, bank. Oh, I'm making it today, you know, like this guy is feeling generous. And, and they, they think, hey, because these guys, they got a denarius, like I'm going to be getting like 10. You know, I mean, I put in way more time, way more effort, way more labor. And they get up and, and God gives them a denarius too. And, and they, they start being begrudging. They start getting angry. Hey, you know, what the heck is this? Why don't we get more? He says, did, did we not agree on the price? Am I not free to do what I will with what is mine? And you see in that that it reveals the entitlement that we think we, we deserve. When God calls us and he says, listen, I've given you a task and I've given you grace and I've given you provision for that. But don't think that, that your obedience is what earns my approval, my love, my grace, my salvation. I am free to give 
that to whoever I please, however I see fit. And you are to join me in that labor. So we see the heart of sin is, is self-authority and self-righteous pride. I deserve grace, but they don't deserve grace. And this is, man, I hope you see this in your life. Do you, I mean, do you see this in your life? Because I see it in my life. You know, areas in which I'm like, well, listen, I, you know, I had this, and that's why it was okay for me. It's because, you know, this situation happened, and then this person was really mean to me. You know, they were really angry and really mean, and so, of course, I, you know, I reacted like that, but they don't have those excuses. They should never react that way. And we condemn them, and we use it all the time, whether it's in our marriages, whether it's in our relationships, maybe it's even in our workplace, is that we, we say, well, I deserve grace. God, give me grace, but those people, they deserve justice. And if you want to give them it, hey, you know, I'm not going to bat an eye about it. So we see the heart of sin, but the, the second thing is we see the action of sin. And it says in verse 3, But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Now, there's a couple things hopefully you notice just in that one verse. He says Tarshish a lot, like three times. And then he, he also talks about going down, that he went down three different times. And then twice he talks about how he flees the presence of the Lord. And so the action of sin looks like running away. It looks like running away from God, turning and leaving. And you see this a lot of times. Well, once I get my act together, then I'll go to church. Once I live a, a good life, then I'll start going. I'll start being around people. You know, or, or whenever we're in disobedience, you know, we, like we, we saw earlier, there's two ways to run away from God. And I remember a, a season of my life for probably six months, I was just, man, I was... I knew that the Lord was calling me not to do something, and I was like, uh-uh, I want it. I, wanna, I, I, I want that, and so, you know, no, 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 you know, I don't hear anything. And every time I'd, be, I, I'd sit there, and the Lord would be convicting me. He'd be moving in my heart and my life, and I would just suppress it. And so even though externally I'd be going to church, I'd be going to life group, doing all the right things, inwardly my heart was running away from God. And so we see this too, is the action of sin is that we, we run away from God. Whether that is we isolate physically from the church, we stop going, we stop going to life groups, we, start, we stop connecting. Because sin separates. And so that's always my thing, is when I don't see people that, that pop around five, six, seven weeks, sin, the nature of sin is it separates us. It separates us from God, it separates us from one another. It, it feeds us this lie that you're okay, that isolation is just fine, you're good. And so we, we isolate when we're in disobedience. We run away. Or inwardly, our heart, we do all the right things, but we're like the older brother. Our heart is far from God. We don't share his joy. And that's, that's one of the key things you can tell when your heart is far from God is that the joy of the Lord begins to be stripped from you. This, this, when you marvel at grace, is that it becomes more mundane. It becomes more everyday. Something that you just do as a routine. And this, this beautiful thing that God has done and who he is, it starts to fade. And so we see the, the actions of sin. The last thing is that we see the discipline of sin. God's discipline, uh, the consequences of rebellion, rebellion. And actually, this is God's grace. God's grace. Now, a side note. Some of us, we pray and we're saying, listen, I just want to, you know, we, we pray for things in our life and we think, well, open doors are surely the sign of God's leading. All right, listen, open doors can be the sign of God's leading, but not necessarily. Because there are a lot of times, listen, there's almost always going to be open door for sin. 
There was, there was a ship just waiting for Jonah. Well, God, of course it must be your will for me to go to Tarshish because the ship's right here. Open doors, ready to take me in? I'm ready to go. I mean, there's always going to be a ship. There's always going to be an opportunity in your life to take that's going to lead you away from the Lord, that's going to lead you to flee his presence. And so listen, just because a door's open doesn't mean you need to take it. There are lots of doors that are open that you need to close the door. And you say, I don't want to walk through that. I don't need to go there. Open doors mean that we need to pray and get discernment about what that means, not I'm going to run straight through it. So, and that another thing that we see in this is that God doesn't always discipline us the exact moment we sin. I mean, think about it. Jonah heard the word of the Lord, rebelled against it. He went, probably walked a day or two to Joppa, got on the boat. I mean, so there, there's, there's time. And God will allow you a season of disobedience. And I'm sure for a while, Jonah was like, you know, I got away with it. I'm good. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to flee from God. I've got this whole other life planned. You know, nobody's going to know who I am. You know, I'm, I'm going to get away with this. And so too, sometimes in our life, we think that God doesn't know. I'll be fine. I haven't felt really his discipline or his conviction. Like, I'm good. God is patient. God loves you and God cares for you. And a sign of that is that he will ultimately discipline you. But listen, just because God didn't do it the exact moment doesn't mean that he's not going to. Not, doesn't mean that God isn't eventually going to bring the hammer. You, you want to repent before he does that? <laughs> like, it would have been much better for Jonah if he's, like, on the way to Joppa and was like, you know, this is just a bad idea. Like, it would have been a lot better for him to have turned around. And so, too, a lot of times in our life, we don't have to learn the hard way. We don't have to. We can learn as, you know, before God brings that severe discipline into our life. What are some of the effects of Jonah's disobedience? What do we see from Jonah's disobedience? Well, the first one is that we see that it caused a downward spiral in his life. You notice that it says down three times. And each time, and then there's even a fourth one later mentioned, it doesn't mention specifically, but going down into the belly of the fish symbolizes death. That, that idea of, of going down, it's that in each step that Jonah's taking, he's taking a step closer to death, a, a, a step closer to destruction. And we see this causes Jonah to be depressed. I mean, you see him sleeping, and you're kind of like, well, why is he sleeping? Is he just really tired? You know, I mean, he's sleeping through a storm. Well, from the, the, if you take the whole book as a context, one of the things I think you can deduct from it is that Jonah's likely depressed. I mean, Jonah's suicidal. I mean, look at chapter four. Just kill me. He tells him, without a second thought, he doesn't even say, turn the ship around, just throw me overboard. I mean, so you can tell, like, he is an emotional wreck. He is, he's depressed. And his depression is stemming directly from his disobedience. Now listen, not all depression does. There, there are all kinds of different aspects of how depression works. And some depression is not stemming directly from a disobedience to the Lord. But there's some, there's some that, do, that do. And Jonah's was one that was. Is because he is totally denying his whole identity. His whole identity for his, for his entire life was being a prophet. I hear God. His relationship with God was everything. And all of a sudden, he's turning his entire, his entire life, his back on his relationship with God. And he's trying to find a new identity. And it seems as if it's, it's broken. It's scattered. It's leading him down. And so one of the consequences of, of disobedience, of sustained disobedience, is that it strips us of joy. It strips us and it leads us. It's going to lead us down to a spiral of destruction and of death in our life. And I, I can testify that in my own life is the moments where I am walking in disobedience to the Lord. I mean, it, you know, it says that the joy of the Lord is our strength. 
One of the first things that happens when we're in outright disobedience is that our joy is taken from us. Is that we're no longer able to rejoice in the Lord because we're rejecting the Lord. And so that leads us to try to find joy in things that don't, that don't satisfy, that we're not able to find joy in. And so we see this, this spiral of destruction is one of the causes. The next thing we see is that it causes apathy and indifference. I mean, Jonah, as a prophet, is supposed to share the heart of God. I mean, right, this is someone that is hearing God, that's with God. His whole life is based upon this. So he's supposed to hear God's heart. But yet he's in the middle of a ship with people that are dying, right, because of the storm that's his fault. And he could care less. I mean, you, it's really ironic because you actually see the world kind of rebuking Jonah. I mean, you see pagans showing more love, more concern, more fervency in prayer than Jonah. And so one of the things that we see is that when we disobey, it creates an apathy and indifference to the needs and the eternal reality of those around us. We just don't care. Why care about them? Why care about anything else? What meaning really is there? Disobedience can lead us to doubt, and that doubt is going to lead us to, to apathy and indifference towards others. And then the last thing we see, oh, side note, it also hurts them. So your disobedience, and I hear this a lot, unfortunately, when I see divorce, is that you hear, well, listen, it's not about the children. It doesn't matter. It's just, it's, it's us. How you respond in marriage, it for sure can affect the children. Listen, God's grace is sufficient. I come out of a divorced family, and God can, man, God can overwhelm and change but how our disobedience, and, and not all divorces, you know, one follow the other, but, but how we respond in our disobedience, it affects other people. Whether well, that's in our, in our purity, in our integrity, you know, in our faithfulness, whatever it is, but our disobedience, it doesn't just affect us. It has massive ramifications. And like we see here, man, the good news of Jonah is that God's grace is stronger than our sin because it doesn't matter. God's able to chase us down. There's no place that we can go that he can't find us. There's no, no disobedience that we can do that he can't overturn and use for his sovereign plan. And that's the good news. But it's better that we would, you know, not have to do that. <laughs> so and we, we have choices in that. And, and the last thing is we see Jonah brings discipline upon himself. Jonah brings discipline upon himself. Stuck in a storm, unable to go where he wants. You know, and this is God's grace. It says that God disciplines those whom he loves. And so to there are going to be times in your life where God's going to bring a hammer or he's going to break you down so that he might build you back up again. Sometimes he authors these storms for this reason. So as we kind of close it, why in the world would God choose Jonah? Why did God choose Jonah for this task? Did he know? I mean, God knows everything. So God knows that he's dealing with Jonah, who is, you know, kind of racist, has a bigotry problem, a national problem, is pretty prideful. Why didn't God just be like, well, listen, he's clearly not the person for the job. <laughs> I'm going to go with this person over here. Why, why didn't God just discard Jonah and pick somebody else that was more suitable? Because God is gracious. Because God is gracious. You see, God won't leave us where we're at. God's purpose is to shape us and to form us. And so therefore, in part of doing that is that God will offend you. God will offend you to shape you and mold you into his image. Can I tell you that the truth of Christianity, it should offend you. 
There are things about Christianity that should offend you. It offended Jonah. It really offended Jonah. He wanted to leave. And so too, you see in our culture, listen, what offended Jonah was God's grace. He couldn't stand that God would be so gracious to a people like that. You know, our culture, they get really offended by God's judgment and his wrath. How could, how could a loving God ever bring judgment or wrath? And that offends them. And so too, because we believe that there is such a thing as objective truth, objective truth is always going to rub subjective culture in one way or another. It's always going to offend. And so too, the call of God in your life, at times, it will offend you. It will rub you raw. That's a good thing because it shows that God is doing his work in you, that he is forming you. Like a, like a person working with clay, he is starting to rip off that extra, that excess, and he's bringing you bow, down more into his image. So, yeah, wanted to tell a fairy tale story. Reminded me. So I was, uh, I was listening, and this, this fairy tale story I thought was a really good illustration of this. Talked about it once upon a time, there was a wicked witch. And this witch lived on the edge of the sea. And she would have mariners come in, and she had the most comfortable bed there ever was. And so these mariners would come in, and after you know, being out at sea all these long weeks, they would come in and they would take refuge in her house. And they would lay on her bed, and it would be the most blissful sleep they've ever had. But you see, the danger is that if they were still in the bed when they woke in the morning, they'd be turned to stone. And during, when they were turned to stone, here's the, the, the terrifying part, is that they would still be alive, and they would live forever perpetually stuck in stone. Now, there was a servant girl that this witch had captured, and that she had forced her to serve. And there was a particular person that had come in that she had had a heart for, she had cared for. And so he was weary and tired and longing for sleep after months out at sea. But she knew what would happen if he got that sleep, if he lived his, his life in that comfort and ease without ever being ruffled, that he would be turned into stone. And so she stuffed every prickly rock, bone, and object she could in that bed. And even as he was sleeping, she continued to stuff in more. And he woke up. And he was very angry. That was the most uncomfortable bed I've ever been in. I can't believe you call this place an inn. But he woke up before the sun rose, and therefore his life was spared. Now, that's an illustration, not that she hated him, but that she loved him. She cared for him. She desired that he would be spared of what was coming. And so too, man, God is going to place things in our life that are not comfortable, things that are difficult and that are hard, but the hope is that it wakes us up. If you're here and you're not a Christian, God wants to wake you up to there's a reality that is coming that is far worse than what you can imagine. And God wants to wake you up before that happens. He desires that you would come and that you would experience his grace. And listen, you might be angry, you might be frustrated at God because it's not comfortable. This bed stinks. But, but listen, he loves you. And he desires that you would experience his grace and his mercy, that you would be forgiven. And so I ask that you would come to him. And so too, Christian, that you would realize that sometimes the, the difficult and uncomfortable seasons in your life is God shaping you. Is God molding you more? John Calvin says, Though one may excel in heroic virtues, yet all his virtues are mere fumes which shine before the eyes of men, except the object be to obey God. The call of God then, as I have said, holds the first place. Obedience holds the first place. 
as to the conduct of men, and unless we lay this foundation, we do like him who would build a house in the air. God brings the storms in our life to wake us up so that we would not build our house upon sand rather than rock. You see, God's discipline is his greatest act of grace in our lives. It's his greatest act of grace because he doesn't just leave us. You know what would have been God's wrath upon Jonah? Letting him go. Romans 1 talks about that. that. That's God's passive wrath is that God just lets Jonah go, lets him run away, doesn't ever cause him any disruption, lets him live a nice, easy, comfortable life, never disciplines. That would have been God's wrath upon Jonah. And the good news is that we have a God that stepped into that storm for us. For those of us that we, we trust in Christ, we believe that there is a real storm that is coming, but we believe that we have a Savior that stepped into that storm, that he stepped into the storm of God's wrath, that you and I, through trusting him, we'd experience peace. And so I, I've got a couple things as we wrap up. If you're here and you're not a Christian, would you, would you come and would you admit that you're desperate for him? Would you admit that you're, you're far off, that you're running away? You know, one of the things that the, the Jews do at Yom Kippur every year is that they read the book of Jonah. They read the book of Jonah, and then together at the end, they say, we are Jonah. We are Jonah. And that that's the first place that any relationship with God starts, is it starts by realizing that you have run away from him. You can never find your way back if you admit that you're lost, if you don't admit that you're lost. I, I know this firsthand. My wife is far better at me in directions, and it is to my shame, you know, and we have been out many times, and I've learned this reality. She'll let me wander and wander for miles before she is like, so are you willing to listen to me? And only, only when I finally relent and say, okay, I'm wrong, am I able to get back on the right direction. (laughs) So too, in our lives, we can run and run and run, and it's only when we acknowledge God, I'm running away from you and I don't know my way that we can be brought back home. And so if you're here and you're not a Christian, that's the first step. The first step is for you to come to God and acknowledge, I've been running away from you. I've been rebelling against you, but I need your grace. Your grace is stronger. And so would you save me? Would you change my heart so that I wouldn't run from you, but I would run to you? And I I want and I long to do that. So if you're here and you're a Christian, two things. First, What does it look like to share God's heart and concern for this city? You see, God's heart and concern for Nineveh, what does it look like in your life to share God's heart and God's concern for this city? And hopefully one of the practical ways we've been announcing it is is choosing to love and serve your neighbors. God is calling you to that. God is calling you to love and to serve your neighbors. How that looks like, it's going to be unique to you. But that's a calling that God's given you. He wants you to love and to serve. He's appointed that they would live next to you, that they might hear the gospel. They might know his goodness and his mercy. And so how that looks like, we want to partner with you to learn and encourage you to walk that out. Second thing is, what are areas you're running and hiding from God in? What are areas in your life that you're running and you're hiding from God in? And how, where is he calling you into obedience to go out? And that's, I hope that as we, we're going to come in, we're going to worship and we're going to take of, of communion. And that's really the meditation for communion. Is I want you to, to ask, Lord, what are areas that I'm running away? Maybe it's 
externally, maybe it's inwardly, you know and you've been convicted of God's, of God's will and God's call in your life, but you're just pushing it off, you're rebelling. And just be transparent like Jonah is and open up and say, God, search me, examine my heart, lead me in your path over mine. Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org.